0: Well, again, it's it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's good to be here amongst fellow Christians and to worship together. It's now time we're going to listen to the word of the Lord today. If you'll stand with me as we read God's word together, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 9 today of the first chapter of this wonderful letter. The Apostle Peter writing to the churches in the dispersion of the first century. Beginning in verse 6, he says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, Dear God Almighty, You, through Your mercies upon our desperate situation of sin and just separation from You, dear God, You saved us through the blood of Your Son. And the words of Your servant Peter are very important to us now, and they are words of comfort, and they are directly from You, God, we know. And so, God, I pray this morning as we are gathered together as Christians, dear God, that you would love us in the midst of our struggles and in our pain. Love us in the midst of our sin. And through the blood of your Son, Lord, I pray that you would use these times, these struggles to draw us closer to you as your word tells us. Lord, as you speak to us this morning, I pray that we would listen. I pray that your spirit would calm us, that your spirit would open our hearts to listen. And I pray, God, that you would speak directly into each and every one of us. This is your time, dear God. May you be glorified through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have a seat. God bless you. A little reminder here of, of as, as we look at the first chapter of First Peter, the context of this letter is clearly a context of the persecution of the early church. The first century church was under persecution. Uh, they were seen as initially a, an underground, quiet religious group that no one paid much attention to. But once Nero came into power, suddenly the christian state was a uh, a foreign power the christian state was a criminal state the church was a criminal enterprise according to the rome according to the emperor of rome and so persecution becomes very strong at this point uh christians are dying by the thousands they are being scattered running for safety wherever they can gather and and, and live in a life of peace, and usually that's out in the outer skirts, the the backwaters of the Roman Empire. And here Peter is writing words of encouragement. Now we come to verse 6, and these are very familiar words to many of us. We've probably heard them read often. You may have even heard sermons preached from this text often. Does this text sound familiar to most? Right, You've heard this before. You may have even studied this before, but what does this text mean? Peter begins in verse 6. In this you rejoice. And what is it that we're rejoicing in? This word this. In this means in God's mercy. Back in verse 3. God's salvation in verse 5. It is God's salvation that He gives us through the blood of Jesus Christ, through God's mercy upon our horrible condition. This is what we rejoice in. Right? If you all are saved this morning... And the Lord has redeemed you from your sin and from your separation from Him. Is that not worthy of rejoicing? Yes. Can I hear some amens? (laughs) Is that worthy? I mean, we don't say amen anymore. It's not a, a joyous song anymore. We are saved by God's mercy and through His grace. Does that bring us excitement or is it just a whole hum? Okay. Yeah, I've, I've done that. Now let's move on. What is our attitude toward our salvation? I think that's the, the key here to this passage. Peter is trying to remind the church that is in suffering and persecution that even in the midst of this suffering they can rejoice and have joy of their salvation that God has given them. Joy. Now Dwayne is married to a joy. Is she full of joy, Dwayne? But are you full of joy being married to her? There you go. Right? When we hear the word joy, that's a happy word, isn't it? It's a a state of happiness. It's an emotion of, of our being where we are excited. What is it that brings you joy is the question. And Peter is writing this to these churches who are under persecution and under fear of death. And even in the midst of that, they have joy. Now, it sounds sweet, and it sounds beautiful by reading the text of Scripture, and it is all of that. But how do we apply that in reality? Think about it. Is anyone here facing a death squad this morning? No one here in this room is facing a death squad for being a Christian. But we have brothers and sisters around the world who are. Christian history is full of martyrs, those who have been persecuted to the point of death and suffering because of the faith. But do we have persecution? Has anybody here been talked down to or attacked because of your faith this week? Some of you may have it worked. You may have been facing some hostile... Uh, co-workers, our children in many of the public schools right now, if they express any kind of faith in the school, they are persecuted as such. Any teacher in the public schools who does so in many places will be persecuted for doing so. Now, I don't really think it's as big of a problem in our area and in our public schools as in other places, but let's just think about it. The name of Christ is forbidden in the public square now, isn't it? And that's new for us as American Christians because our country and the Western culture itself has been founded upon the truths of Christ. And so now suddenly in our generation, we are quickly seeing a rapid decline of Christ's name in the public square. Now, we can cry persecution all we want, and it's it's there. But we're not facing death squads. Now, can that be around the corner? Can that be coming down in the future? A lot of people are predicting it will. I don't know. The question is, as the church, how do we have joy even in the midst of that? Or are, as Christians, are we to fight back with aggression and standing our ground? There's a balance there, isn't there, of standing our ground as Christians and for the truth of the gospel, yet still having joy in the midst of the persecution so that our persecutors will see Christ in us. And I think that's what Peter is trying to encourage the Christians here in this letter. In the midst of their sorrow, in the midst of their persecution, verse 6 In this you rejoice. This salvation of Jesus Christ through God's mercy and grace, that is our rejoicing and our joy. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice here in verse 6, Peter is kind of putting into context all of the persecution and the trials that the Christians are going under. Number one, he says, for a little while. He's indicating that these persecutions are short-lived, right? Let's just be honest with ourselves. The older we get, hopefully we become a little more uh, able to handle hard times because we have learned that, you know what, hard times don't last forever. Would you all agree? Now, in the middle of a hard time, we may not be able to see that. We can't see the end of the struggle, if we look back in our life and we look back in how God has loved us over our walk with Christ, are there times in our Christian walk where we struggled and suffered either financially or physically or with employment or whatever, did that last forever? If we're honest with ourselves, it didn't. Mamas, when you're struggling with your children and they're not listening to you and they're not going to bed and they're not eating their vegetables, that is... That, that is a, that's a trial in the moment, but does it last forever? If you're really honest with yourself. It may seem like it's going on forever, but it'll stop. Right? Even as children, if we, if we were being punished by our parents as children, did that last forever or was it short-lived? You see where we're going? These trials that Peter is encouraging these Christians through in verse 6, he's saying, now for a little while, they are a momentary light affliction. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17. We won't go there, but if you're taking notes, Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He calls whatever the struggle is going through as a momentary light affliction. Now in the middle of our struggles, that doesn't seem very momentary and doesn't seem very light, does it? This is why Peter's encouragement to the church is so valuable. Not only is Peter saying here in verse 6 that these persecutions are short-lived and temporary, he goes further and says, though now for a little while, if necessary. Now that's the hard part of this text, right? Number one Peter is encouraging the church to have joy, to rejoice in their salvation in the midst of of trials and circumstances because these trials and circumstances, according to Peter in verse 6 here, are necessary. Ouch. Right? How many of us think that our trials and struggles are necessary? Number one, it's difficult to, to see them as temporary, but they really are. But now it's even harder for us to think, about now dear God, why are you doing this? Right? God, why is it that my bank account is at zero and negative balance? Working hard all day long. I, I, I'm working from sunup until sundown and there never seems to be enough money at the end of the week or the end of the month to pay the bills and I'm in debt. Why? Maybe God's allowing our choices to show us how to streamline our lives so that we would then have to turn to Him and depend on Him for all that we need. Maybe God has a plan to, to provide what we need in ways other than what we think. I've, I've learned that from time to time in my life. struggle, but they're necessary. Why are they necessary? I mean, think about Job, right? Job in the Old Testament, he is the poster child for misery and suffering, right? What happened to Job? He lost all of his wealth, lost his family, his health was to the, declined to the point of probably almost death. All of his friends ridiculed him and and told him that he was no longer in God's favor. Right? Job sat on a trash heap and scraped the the sores off of his skin with a stone, crying out to God, why? But if we remember Job, right? Job is credited as... Having long-suffering patience. you ever heard of the term, the, 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 the patience of Job? Have you ever heard that phrase? It's tied to Job's suffering and his patience in the midst of it. Even though when you read the book of Job, there are moments in that text where Job is not being very patient. <laughs> okay? We may do a study in the book of Job sometime. I started that series uh, years ago at another church, but we never got finished with it. We may go back to Job after 1 Peter here. That might be a good tie-in. But was the suffering of Job necessary by the end of that book? I think God said so. And everything was restored to Job tenfold, hundredfold. So here in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is reminding the Christians, you are in good company here. (laughs) All of these trials are temporary, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. Now, why are these necessary? It's interesting here. That in the midst of this suffering of persecution, this necessary persecution, he's telling them to rejoice. Now, in verse 6, the word to rejoice honestly would be better translated greatly rejoice. Because there are are multiple words in Greek for to, to have joy or to sing praises. This particular word actually can be translated as a supreme happiness. That really means a happiness and a joy not based on your circumstances. That's what this word here in verse 6 means, to rejoice. Think about this. What makes you happy? You don't have to speak it out, but just ponder here. All of us have something that makes us happy, correct? Could be a rack of ribs that fall off the bone without a knife. Dry rub where well, you don't drown it in sauce cuz you ruin it. <clears throat> just saying. Little hint from the pastor on what makes him happy. Right? Could be, you know, your favorite TV show. Could be your favorite video game. Could be uh favorite movie. Could be whatever. Could be your family. Could be your spouse. Could be your kids. What is whatever it is that makes you happy. Ponder that for just a minute. Get that in your mind. What is Find your happy place. You ever heard that term? Find your happy place in your mind as we think this through. What is, where is that happy place? And the question is, is that happy place determined by your circumstances? In other words, do you have to set up the situation to be happy? I have to go through this step, this step, this step, and this step, and then I'll be happy. Possibly. Okay. But this word here in verse 6 that Peter's reminding them of, in this you rejoice. We rejoice as Christians in a joy and a happiness that is not based on our circumstances. We rejoice in the salvation of the Lord that is not based on our merit or our efforts. Ponder that. Is our salvation dependent on us setting up certain things in order to be saved? No. Peter's made that abundantly clear in the verses previous to this, right? We are chosen by God through His mercy upon our situation. He saved us out of our sin and our sorrow through the blood of Christ. And in that, we have joy that we did not earn, we did not make, we did not manufacture. That's what we rejoice in. You see that point? Now in verse 7, all of these all of these trials that we rejoice in the middle of are so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This joy that Peter is encouraging the Christians to remember. It, it it comes after a testing period. Actually, it becomes more aware through the testing and the trials. The testing and the trials produce a genuine faith. Right? Now, that's easy to say. It sounds glorious, but it's harder to actually practice. Would you agree? Can we get an amen on that? In the midst of suffering and persecution, in the midst of stress, men, we may have more to do than we have time to do it and we lash out in stress and struggle and in the middle of that, God is trying to show us and test us to see if our faith is more precious than gold. Ponder that. That's what Peter's trying to remind them of here in the midst of your persecution, as the Roman government is out to hunt you down and kill you, as the Roman government has now labeled you as criminals of the state church, in the midst of this, this will be a test to see if your faith is genuine. Now this is a repeated theme throughout all of Scripture. We see this in the Old Testament as God is, is guiding and loving His people Israel. He takes them into persecution and exile more than once because of their own rejection of Him. And in the midst of that exile, God purges out the unfaithful, and what is left is a remnant. You ever heard that term, the remnant? In the middle of suffering and persecution, the the, the truly faithful will be revealed because the fire that comes will burn up the unfaithful and that which is left is this gold that is more precious or this faith that is more precious than gold it's light gold but it's more precious than that because everything else that is not faithful is washed away burned away consumed ponder that for a minute now is that what is happening within us individually is god taking us through some struggles to kind of burn up the chaff <laughs> clean out the junk So that what is left is a genuine faith that we rejoice in because of the salvation given to us by Christ. See, this salvation is a joy that is permanent and profound. This joy in salvation is not something that is dependent on circumstances. See, there's a contrast here in verses 6 and 7. He's saying, you know, these trials reveal things that are temporary. But the salvation that you hold dear brings a joy that is permanent. The joy of salvation is of God and does not depend on anything that we do. Whereas worldly joy is shallow at best and dependent on our emotions and circumstances. So he's comparing here, verse 6 and 7, that which is of God's joy and salvation produces praise and glory and honor in verse 7, but that which is worldly is temporary and necessary so that we can get to this praise and this glory and this honor. Look here in verse 7. Everything that perishes leaves behind... The result of faith in the salvation in Christ that leads us to praise, right? What is praise? What is praise? Praise is singing joy to the Lord, right? Thank you, Lord. You are worthy of who you are. You have saved me. And there is praise in that. Do we praise people for a job well done, right? Do we praise our children for a job well done when they pick up their toys and they eat their green vegetables, hopefully? Kids, are you all eating your green vegetables? Yeah, Do you get praised when you do good things? Hopefully. When you're at work, does your employer, does your boss give you praise for a job well done? Hopefully. But when we don't do a a good job, what comes? Persecution. So, when, when we are singing praise to the Lord, we are singing praise to Him for a for what He has done for us through Jesus Christ. We sing praise to God because what we have received is beyond what we can imagine. And to result in praise and glory. What is this glory here? When we think about glory and connected to God, we know that God is beyond all comprehension. Is God full of glory? Is He? When we think about that idea in, in Scripture, when God's glory shows up, what is the response the response? Every single time when God's glory shows up, man's response is one of face down in the dirt, I'm not worthy. But in this context here in verse 7, while Peter is telling the church... Is that in the midst of your persecution and your trials, you will result in singing praises to the Lord for his goodness, and and the glory will be the glory that comes upon you, in, and you will be more Christ like. You will actually take upon yourself more of the glory of Christ in your life. So, in the midst of sorrow and persecution, of what Peter is saying here in verse 7 is that Christians will actually produce a glory of Christ that all will see? Have you ever thought about that? Do you actually put on the glory of Christ? Do you exhibit the glory of Christ in you? It's not something that we can manufacture. It's not something we can mimic. It is something that only God Himself can do In us, through the blood of Christ, and that comes out of us. And when people see us as new and they see this glory of Christ, they say, what is it about you that's different? And the honest Christian will say, it's just the Lord. I can't explain it. It's beyond me. It's not me, right? Hopefully some of us have had that situation. Where someone who is not a Christian recognizes Christ in us and they genuinely ask about it and we don't have an answer. We just say, it's, I can't explain it, but it's definitely not me because let me tell you who I really am. It's only Christ in me that you see, right? That's the glory and the honor. Through the persecution and the trials that Peter's talking about in verse 6 As we take on Christ's glory, we will also receive honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We as Christians will actually receive reward. That's what honor means. To be honored is to reward somebody. I think a lot of our children here in the last few weeks have gone through an award ceremony at school, an honors ceremony where they honor, work well done, good character, and they receive these rewards, Right? And we should continue. So God himself is going to give us honor, give us reward at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that revelation of Jesus Christ is clearly speaking about his second coming. Because the new church was looking for Christ to return. In that first generation of Christians, there was this expectation that Jesus would come back before they died. And and I think that would have been a right assumption. It was beyond their idea to think that Christ was not going to come back in their generation, but perhaps millennia later. But now we do see that Christ will come someday. We don't know if He's going to come in our generation or if He's going to come in another generation, but He's coming. And at that time, those who have suffered through persecution and trials will receive honor. That's what Peter's talking about here. So in the midst of our persecution as Christians, let's try to remember that. Instead of fighting back against the left-wing media who hates all Christians, have we ever thought about praying for them? Have we ever thought about just acting like Christians even in the midst of the nastiness that is said about us? Because when Christ comes back, we're going to receive a reward One way or the other. Are we going to fight back and lash back at those who are persecuting us as Christians? Or are we going to be Christ-like in our mannerisms and in our thoughts about it and be peaceful? That's a struggle, isn't it? I think that's what Peter here is encouraging the church to do. Not to fight back against your persecutors, but to exhibit a Christ-likeness that you have in you that God has placed in you, even in the midst of the suffering. Amen? It would be hard to read this in the first century, but it was true. It's hard to read now as we are seeing a lot of attacks coming against our faith, but it's true. Let's look at verse 8 and 9. Actually, before we go there, let me me summarize one more thing in verse 7. Why is it that persecutions come? Why is it that we see praise, glory, and honor? What is the benefit of these attacks? Why are they necessary? I think one of the things is that they serve to wean believers away from the worldly things and to point them to heaven. Where's our attention? Are we more... Are we worshiping the world and what the world says is glorious and valuable? Or are we worshiping what God says is worthy and valuable? And I think through the act of persecution and suffering, God is using that to wean us as Christians away from the world and to point us to heaven. It's a lesson to value God's blessing of salvation instead of life's pain and struggle. Are we saved? Have we received the blessing of God's salvation through Christ? Yes. Is that more valuable than this world that we worship? Because the world's going to bring us nothing but pain and sorrow. God's mercy and love is going to bring us joy and glory and honor. You see that? Now, verse 8 and 9. He now encourages these Christians because at this point, Many of the Christians at this point in history were a second generation of Christians that had been born and are now adults, and all they have known of Christ are the stories told them by the apostles. Imagine this. Peter, being one of the twelve, knew Jesus intimately and personally. But these Christians he's writing to, many of them had never known Jesus other than through stories and through Scripture. And so Peter in verse 8 is encouraging him, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What was it in John chapter 20? Jesus speaking to Thomas remember that? We talked about that about a month or so ago when Doubting Thomas comes back, comes to the upper room where the uh, disciples are and they're telling him all about Jesus and they've seen Jesus and Thomas doubts. He says, well, I have to see it to believe it. You remember that? Peter's reflecting the same thing here in verse 8. He's actually encouraging the Christians. You never saw Christ, but you love Him. You do not know Christ as I do, but you believe in Him. Right? And in that he's encouraging, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. That's an interesting word here. This joy that is, some translations say, joy that is unspeakable. We cannot put the joy of Christ in our salvation In any kind of human language, it's hard to describe. Would you all agree? That's why I think we as Christians really struggle with trying to articulate our joy in Christ. Part of it is that, you know, it is, we don't have the words to speak. Part of it is that we don't have the confidence to speak. That's part of it. And now, now we can encourage each other in the confidence part. As a pastor and as fellow Christians in this group, we can encourage each other to have the confidence to share Christ. But trying to find the words for it, that's hard. So if we if we struggle with sharing our faith with others, let me encourage you. It's not so much that you have to be taught what words to say, as much as it's just encouragement to live it and to share it. God will give us the words. In the moment that he wants us to speak, he will give us the words necessary for that moment, for that person or that time. Because the joy of Christ, this joy of salvation in Christ that Peter's talking about here is inexpressible in words. The word here in the Greek for this can actually be translated higher than any speech. It's unspeakable. Now this does not give Evidence to our brothers and sisters in the church that advocate some kind of a prayer language through uh, tongues. That's not what this text is speaking about. It's t- talking about this level of joy that we rejoice in that the world cannot understand, but we know it because we're in it and Christ is in us. It's a, See, those who live in personal communion with Christ experience a joy so divine, it's hard for us to describe it. Think about that. And in that, we're filled with glory. This glory is the glory of Christ. Now, what does that lead to? It leads to... This In verse 9, obtaining the outcome of our faith. What is the outcome of our faith? Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 since you're there. Peter's going, and we'll get to this again. We'll preach on this again later as we close out this book in another month or two. But 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. These are the benefits of all the suffering that the Christians will go through. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in chapter one, verse nine, what Peter is saying here is when, when the outcome of all of this is that God will restore us and strengthen our faith in the salvation that our souls possess. You see that? Yeah. What does this look like? You know, these words are are words of encouragement, believe it or not. So here's my challenge to us all. Whenever you're in the midst of sorrow and persecution, I want you to remember, I hope that the Lord will bring to your mind this text... The first chapter of 1 Peter is a wonderful text of encouragement to remind us of where we are. Uh, If we are saved in Christ, then we have a joy that the world does not know. You see that? And we don't have to fight it. We don't have to struggle. We don't have to get mad at the world for not understanding us. They're not going to understand us because they're not in the salvation that we are. So if we can remember that, then... We're not going to get angry when the world comes against us. Now, you could possibly say, Ah-ha-ha, na-na-na-na, I've got salvation, you don't. Some of you are laughing at that. That's good. We could do that, couldn't we? That would be very childish. But in our mind, if we're being attacked for our faith and somebody's lambasting us, maybe just silently in our mind we can say, i have got Jesus. Right? They'll never know we're thinking it, but we could. And we can celebrate and laugh inside because we have this joy that only Christ can, ex- can experience with us. Amen? Is that worth saying hallelujah for? Right? Amen. Here this morning, we're going to close out as we always do the first Sunday of the month. We're going to come to the Lord's table together. This is a time to be reminded of the joy that we possess in our salvation. It's a good time to be reminded of the salvation that we have. Have we been saved by Christ's blood on the cross? Yes. Has God rescued us through His mercy out of our situation? Yes. We did not save ourselves. None of us have saved ourselves. None of us. Only God can do that. Yes? Is that not worth having joy about? And that's not, and that's definitely worth celebrating. And Jesus our Lord has given us this ordinance of of communion at the Lord's table together so that we collectively celebrate and remember what we've been rescued out of. We also remember the cost paid for our salvation. We're going to distribute the elements here in a minute. But let me, let me read to us 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. As I distribute the bread and the juice here in just a minute, I want to encourage you to, you know, take yourself into this spirit of prayer and think of these words. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now this command about discerning the body. I want to to say that 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 this text has a twofold meaning. Clearly, we must discern our own body, our own individuality. Where are we in our relationship with Christ? But in the greater context of one Corinthians chapter eleven, Peter—I mean, Paul—is talking about the body of Christ, and who is the body of Christ? Us. And so I think also here in the context of the chapter when Paul is talking about coming to the table of the Lord here, he's wanting the body of Christ to discern itself. How are we getting along? Are we collective in one mind? This is also what is necessary here. And so as we enter into this time, I want to encourage you to enter into this time of prayer with the Lord And just meditate on His Word. Meditate on the truth that Jesus loved us. Let me encourage you as well. This time, this table is for those who have been saved by Christ. Those who have been baptized into His church. Those are the ones who partake of this. And so at this time, I will distribute the elements and we will worship together.